Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay. Uh, Tyler, you got a photo for us. So I got a photo for you today. This is uh, this summer. This is literally my father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even my own life. Uh, and a few nieces and nephews mixed in. And I was thinking when I read this passage, I just, you know, the circle keeps getting bigger. And I go, unless you hate all these people and hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, immediately we read stuff like this in scripture and our internal heart alarms go off and we go, wait a second. We've read what seems to contradict this elsewhere, right? Uh, not to mention places like uh, honor your father and mother, or when Jesus has just recently explained the greatest commandment, you know, that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Surely our family, crazy as they can be, uh, is, is, counts as our neighbors, the people we're supposed to love. So what is this thing about hating our father, mother, sister, brother, the whole mess? Now, often we would you know, it'd be fine if we could just pick a few, you know, and it'd be like, hey, that's cool, Jesus, I can live with that. Um, sorry, cousin, I just uh, says here, I have to hate you. It's just, you know, them's the breaks. But obviously, there's something bigger going on here. We're not really sure. So what is Jesus saying? Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He says something that seems to contradict the law. So what are we to make of this? The good news here is that, of course, there's a deeper story. There's, there's a deeper context to this language. There is a comfort. There is a value throughout the narrative of Scripture and what we call covenant relationships. Covenant relationships between friends, between husband and wife, between families, uh, a covenant obviously between with, with God. And so this language of hate... And you can see some of the English translations try to soften it a little bit because it is so strange. Um, but the language of hate is, you'll remember in Genesis, we get the same language when Jacob is, we're learning about Jacob and his love for Rebecca. And, we, and the, the, the writer of Genesis says, you know, Jacob hated Leah, but Rebecca he loved. And so we get a little bit of the sense of the nuance there that uh, this is a Jewish idiom. This is language, it's hyperbole, and it helps us understand the indication of preference. So it wasn't that Jacob didn't love Leah, he just preferred, through the, you know, the course of events, uh, Rachel. And so it's this understanding of choosing or preferring. Covenant language, just it, it helps us isolate what is primary in life. Uh, if you've been to a wedding recently, if you hear the traditional vows, you heard something like, in the beginning, in your declaration of intent, why are you all here? Why have you bothered us on a Saturday night to get us all together and do this beautiful thing? Uh, and usually the language up front will be something like, you know, will you commit? Will you be loyal? Will you be faithful? And forsaking all others, 
right? Be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. Another way of saying that would be hating all others. If you, you're going to hate everybody else and be faithful to your spouse. Now, obviously, we're not going to hate everybody. You don't start hating other people around you. But in comparison and in what we do with our affections and the deepest places of our hearts, we, we give those things, we isolate those things, we hold those things, and we give preference, we give choice to the person that we're in covenant with. And so Jesus is giving a little lesson here uh, for the sake of our calling. He's telling the disciples, I know families that you love. I know you have possessions that you love. I know some of you are successful businessmen. I know some of you made a killing as tax collectors and you did really well in life. And I know some of you have things you're really proud of, but it's time for us to talk about what it's going to cost to really accomplish this mission of sharing the love of God with the world. It's going to be costly. And Jesus says, for the sake of this calling, I'm inviting you disciples to not live primarily for yourself. To detach from the agenda of living for ourselves, which we don't need any help learning. We learn that when we're babies. We live in a fallen world, and we, that's what we grow up with. That's how we learn to survive, is look out for ourselves. And uh, so it is, a, it is a real discipline to learn a different way to live. Uh, so Jesus is saying... We have to get our loves in order. Our loves are so beautiful. There's so much great stuff in our hearts that can be shared with others, but we have to order those loves or else we won't be happy. If we don't order the loves, we, we make a mess of love and then, you know, then it's not, as, it's not giving us the happiness that we were created for. And for the happiness of the world is at stake. And so it's not just our happiness. So Jesus is saying it's time that we be reminded of the order of things. And that's where he introduces this concept of salt. Israel, God's people, they knew that their job, their whole job description in the world was to be the salt of the earth. They knew they were supposed to flavor the world in such a way that the world would look at Israel and say, wow, surely there's a God that loves those people. What do we have to do to get on board with this God? And so Jesus is carrying that over and saying, salt is a wonderful thing. But disciples, if salt loses its saltiness, they're not going to know that it's salt. And so they're not going to know the love of God. So we got to get our, we got to reorder our loves here. And we got to detach from some things so that we can embrace other things and y'all can be salty again. It's going to be a tough road, Jesus says. We're headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And you will suffer too because you're associated with me. So, but don't be afraid. This is all for the good. We can order these loves and this is going to work. So this is what's at stake in God's wisdom. He chose the 12 tribes. He chose the 12 disciples. He chose us as a church. And we scratch our heads sometimes and go, gosh, Jesus, there's a lot of things you could have done differently than choose me or choose us. But here we are. And we have this work, this vocation, this joy before us. So we have a daily decision. As the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, we don't just decide a long time ago, but we all sang to each other. Hearing you sing that song, while singing with you is one of the most encouraging things I can think of. I'm hearing people say, I know it's hard, but I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The cross before me, right? It's, this, is the, the, this is what we're doing. So we're counting the cost. Uh, we're resolving to walk. Jesus gives this little interlude in this conversation about uh, life and reordering our loves and taking up our cross. And, and Russ read for us, you know, no one, no one sets out to build something without counting the cost. Uh, no one sets out to, you know, do a remodeling project at the parsonage before you realize, hey, there's going to be some holes in the ground. 
There's going to be some stuff going on. You're going to have to move some people around. It's going to take a little time, right? It's going to be a stuff to work around. You got to count the costs or else people are going to walk down the street and laugh at you. <laughs> they're going to walk by and go, man, those Methodists, their parsonage, they just can't get it together. Didn't they know that you can't just start tearing stuff? Anyways, you know, you get the picture. Um, so we've all been a part of those building projects, right, where people walk by and laugh at us. So uh, we understand that. No one would go to war without understanding, to, trying to calculate what the cost is going to be. And Jesus says it's, it, it, would, it would be good for you, be prudent to count the cost. This is not something, your, your, your strength and your choices are so important. that You should take all authority, as we say in our baptism, take all authority and then go choose. Go choose what is good. It's a big thing. And so the tragedy in the parable is the insufficient resources. And the good news is that uh, there's only one way to guarantee the sufficiency of resources. And in this case, that is to draw near to the source of the resources, which is Christ. And that's what he's trying to tell us, is that what you need to follow me, what you need to be the salt of the earth, you cannot give yourself. You have to be recipients. You have to be farmers. You have to be workers and cultivate this stuff or it's not going to be available for the world when the world needs it. So, kind of a review about this language of taking up our cross. Earlier in Luke, Jesus said that losing our life is actually the pathway to gaining our life. This is the upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom of God that we start out in Mary's song in Luke, and we realize that, that what is up is down, and what is down is up, and it's all confusing, but we settle in and we realize how beautiful it is that we humble ourselves and we're exalted, those who have exalted themselves will be humbled. And if we lose our lives for Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, we're actually going to gain our life. So the pathway to happiness is to lay down the life that we might choose for ourselves in order to pick up the life that God has called us to because he wants to give us joy, wants to give us happiness. Blessed are beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that humble themselves uh, to be ready for the life that God gives. This is an open invitation. I love it that when Jesus is talking about really intense discipleship demands, he doesn't say, now this is only for the Navy SEALs. This is only for the people who were born in a certain place, who can speak a certain language, who've read all these books and done all this stuff. And all throughout this passage, we get, we get the word anyone, whoever, any one of you, he who has ears to hear, right? It's the broadcast. Anybody that can listen is a candidate. This is open to everybody. So the, that's the great image of the church. We're always open. Anyone that has ears to hear, anyone that is even remotely interested in redemption, you're welcome here. Now, this can be a hard road. It's going to get really tough. It, in fact, it's a narrow road, and only a few are going to walk it. It's going to cost a lot, but it's a beautiful pathway. And don't forget, everybody's welcome. Right? It's another chance, and you can start anytime. But, but the time is drawing near uh, for these disciples to decide, are they on board or not? And some are going to turn away. But many of them will embrace and continue to follow. I love that Jesus doesn't appeal to the lowest standard. You know, he doesn't appeal to the thing in us that's like, oh, it's okay. It won't cost you anything. Just come be a Christian. It'll just be easy. It'll be, you know, it won't, it'll be no big deal. It'll just be another thing you kind of put on your little pegboard and you say, I'm one of these and it's, but it won't cost you anything. That's what we always try to do. We get somebody to be involved in something, right? We call them like, Hey, will you serve on this church committee? It, it only meet once a year. There's no big deal. It won't cost you anything. Right. And we're, we're all guilty of it. It's kind of funny. We laugh about it, but discipleship is this thing. It's going to cost you your whole life. It's going to cost everything. You, you will have to love Christ and his mission more than you love even your family. That's how much it's going to cost 
And so we begin to understand what is, what is happening. I love this word renounce. And when I say I love it, I mean it drives me crazy. But I, I love that it's calling us to something. Uh, that we're, we have to renounce. Anyone who does not renounce everything they have cannot be my disciple. This word renounce, it means like, it means to forego your interest in. It means whatever interest I had in that, I, I forego it. I let go. I'm letting go of that in order that I might hold on to something greater. And in the beauty of things, in the mystery of things, it's another way of saying, I love my family so much. I love my dear friends so much. I love the world so much. And I, yet I recognize that no one loves them more than Jesus does. So if I can let go of them and the ways that I'm naturally attached, if I, and then I can hold on to Jesus, then I can realize that he can show me how to love them in ways that I don't understand how to love them yet. And, and, that's, and so the order of things comes back into view. For my family, for myself, and for the world, I'm going to choose, I'm going to prefer the way of Jesus to some other way. There are many other ways. This Jesus way is the one before us. Um, you, you teachers and you coaches and you people that have played for coaches and you have uh, sat in classrooms and gotten your education, how many times can you remember a really good teacher telling you, now, y'all are getting ahead of yourselves. All right, we're, we're not even there yet. Y'all put those calculators down. You have, to learn, you have to learn this algebra thing. You have to be able to write it on the chalkboard as fast as I can, or, or you're not going to be able to go to the next stage of math. You're just not. Or the English teacher will tell you, like, we have to learn how to read the story. Y'all are missing the point. And you got to put in your time and read the story. It's like, but I will never, ever read this story again. And all the math students say, this math will never help me in real life, right? I want to be whatever, and I'll never use this math again. And your math teacher reminds you, uh, no, it's about learning, or it's about your mind being formed by things that make sense in the world. It's great training for anything else. Learn algebra. It's great stuff. Right? The teachers always tell us. I remember my basketball coach. It's like the drills that we did. I'm like, coach, we're never going to use this in a game. We're not going to figure eight out there in the deal. We're definitely not going to run lines. And he would say, you know, hush your mouth. This is about learning how to handle the ball. You know, the, the guys that taught me how to rope, it's like, get off your horse and rope the dummy. For an hour. And after you rope the dummy for an hour, maybe we'll get on the horse and we'll go try again. It's like, but I just want to go do the real thing. And they're like, no, you got to learn. You're missing it. You can't rope the dummy yet. I'm not going to let you on a horse. So it's the order of things, right? It's, it's letting go of one thing. It's setting the horse down so I can learn how to hold the rope. It's setting the basketball down so I can learn how to move my feet. It's setting the calculator down so I can learn how math, so I can understand how it works. And then I can move on to the next thing. Jesus is doing the same thing for us. What is this language of bearing the cross? This is kind of the, 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 the heart, I think, of the story of the, of the call is, is bearing our cross. What does it mean to take up our cross? Another way of saying this is living as though we are condemned to a cross. It's following Jesus, living as though we too are condemned to a cross. Our identity in the world is cross bearers. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's kind of where the word Christian comes from. Uh, another way of talking about this, you'll hear theologians talk about uh, a cruciform way of being in the world. The way that we are in the world is in the form of the cross. The way that we're in the world is not in the form of triumphalism. The way we're in the world is in the form of humble servants who are carrying a cross and we're taking our strength and we're serving others. It's, it's magnifying the beauty of God and the strength of humanity infused with the spirit of God, cruciform. You can't get more foundational than 
standing underneath the cross or kneeling underneath the cross, or if we're carrying a cross on our shoulder, if you use that imagery, I'm, I'm, I'm using my energy to carry this cross. I've let go of even my family. I've let go of my job. I've let go of my expectations, and I'm holding on to the cross. And while I'm holding on to the cross, I just have this image of now there's room. You know, there's room underneath the cross for others. And so I'm like, hey, family, come over here. Let's stand together under the cross. Hey, students, come stand over here. Let's stand together under the cross. Hey, friends, hey, neighbors, hey, anybody that I know and love, come stand underneath the cross. It's like the old hymn, beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand, right? Underneath the cross of Jesus, I will gladly take the stand. That's, that's where I want to be when the going gets tough. I want to be underneath the cross. So I wonder this morning if, as we kind of take steps into the next thing, whatever the next thing, if you're a student, if you're a teacher, if we're just going back to our jobs on Monday, what does it look like to keep company underneath the cross, to make room for people, to love people with the weight of the cross, right? Which Jesus says is not really a burden at all. It's ongoing. This is where we bring our family. This is where we bring our possessions This is where we bring everything that we hold dear. We let go of those things in order to take hold of them in a different way while we're holding primarily onto the cross. As we hold onto the cross and as we situate ourselves underneath the cross, life begins to grow, right? The seed is planted into the ground and only when it dies does then it have the opportunity to germinate and to grow. This is the way it works with the cross. Jesus is telling us the the way to happiness, the way to an ordered life that gives you joy is to begin with the foundation of underneath the cross. Not only does it give order to our love, but it informs us about love. I have no idea how to love my family. Except for, hopefully, I can tune in and ask Christ, who loves them even more than I do, who created them and gave them to me as a gift to hold carefully as a good steward, Jesus can inform me how to love those people, how to love any people I'm around. So I'm I'm letting go of my vision, holding on to this other vision. And uh, I think that's kind of our our pathway. We're walking together. It's an invitation to, to be salty, to be rich in the things of God. Uh, And it's, again, it's everyone who has ears to hear. Anybody that has ears to hear, let him hear. And we work together to make Christianity believable in a world where we have not very much credibility, you know, for many good reasons. There have been, there's so much abuse. There's so much failure of nerve. There's so much lack of courage. And of course we see all the negative stuff in the news, but uh, we, we as a church, by living this way, we make Christianity believable. And people begin to say, huh, that's funny, because what I hear in the news is that Christians are this way. But when I experience the Christians in my neighborhood, I experience salt. I experience flavor. I experience something rich and good. What is the deal? And so that doesn't just happen overnight. It takes communities, ongoing work, ongoing you know, time in Sunday school, creating communities where children and youth and parents can learn, where we can really put Christianity to the test, where we can ask our difficult questions the real questions we face today, where we can accept the power that God has given us, we can renounce the things that weigh us down, and we can embrace the cross as a vision for the way forward, for the sake of the world that God loves, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our families. May we do just that together this school year 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.